before uh, we dive in, I feel the need to acknowledge a bit of a historical or historic cultural moment. Um, if you were paying attention this week, then you heard of the Dobbs decision or the overturning or reversing of Roe v. Wade. And so um, lots of rejoice in there and a lot to be said. Uh, obviously, we, we plan sermons and gatherings uh, a little bit before Saturday, even though you may not think it at times. So uh, we're talking about rest today, but I was thinking about just a, a three-part response or call in light of the decision this week. Um, first, I thought it's a call to lament how long that the previous decision has been in place and what that has meant and the fact that there is still legality in certain areas of the country. And so there's a call to lament, a call to rejoice uh, in in the moment and what this means. Certainly a call to rejoice and then a call to action that there is more work to be done uh, and work to, to, to start in a way. So more to be said uh, in the days and weeks ahead on that. So, but wanted to acknowledge it. Uh, with that said, if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and track down uh, Psalm 127. Uh, should be one underneath the chair if you don't have a Bible, one of those black hardback Bibles. And I'm hearing a little feedback. I don't know if they are. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, you tell me if I need to swap mics. Um, if it's bothersome to you, somebody kind of give me a heads up and I'll switch mics. Psalm 127 focuses on verses 1 and 2 this morning. Um, and as always, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, those black hardback Bibles, we've got more of them out at the kiosk in the lobby. That's our gift to you. Take that. If you know somebody that would read it with you, uh, then take two of them. Uh, we would love for you to get that. Um, again, uh, the idea of rest, that's where we're focused today. If you missed last week, we kind of have a, a two-week sort of mini-series with the first part last week being on the on work, the gospel and work, and then this week being on the gospel and rest. Basically, what does the Bible have to say about work, our vocations, or just work in general? And then what does the Bible have to say about uh, rest, the gospel and rest? It doesn't uh, take the Bible to prove that there's sort of a cooperative relationship, sometimes an adversarial relationship between uh, work and rest. Um, it's not hard to prove experientially that those two things are connected. It's hard to work without rest, and work causes us to need rest, and work sometimes distracts us or removes us from the ability uh, to rest. So these things have a little bit of an interchange back and forth. Um, so experience, just plain reality, um, tells this, tells us this about work and rest. But the Bible takes us a good bit deeper. Okay? The Bible gives us an explanation of these things, an understanding of these things, which um, is partly why we wanted to cover these in close proximity to one another. Um, you could say that we are uh, taking two weeks to talk about or look at what the Bible says about two of the more common, ordinary parts of life. I mean, what's more common and ordinary than work and rest? And the Bible really uh, gets into the common and ordinary. We like to think of the exceptional and the radical, uh, but the common and ordinary are are, are the you know, a big theme in the Bible, too. God cares deeply about the common and the ordinary. Um, you think about how much of our lives are taken up by work and rest. And God has spoken on these things in great detail from cover to cover. You're going to find both cover to cover. Um, so we we need to know what does he have to say as followers? What does he have to say about 
uh, both of those. We need to know okay, what he has to say about both of these areas. Um, and it's certainly, I don't think, very hard to argue. I don't think I would get a lot of pushback if I put forward the idea that maybe we struggle with each of these. Maybe we have unhealthy understandings or misunderstandings or unhealthy relationships in some way to either work or rest or both. Maybe we have a problem with both and maybe it's seasonal a little bit. Maybe we're okay right now or we're not okay, but we have been okay at certain uh, points. But in some form or fashion, the majority of us probably have an issue with one or both of these that we need uh, to correct and see what God has to say. Uh, therefore, we're going we're to dive in and see what his view is. Um, not just to understand them, but are we applying the truths correctly? Okay, so want to definitely see if we're applying them correctly. So if you're new uh, to the Bible or if you're new to Christianity or if you just never really thought about stuff like this, this should help us to see uh, how holistic the Christian faith is. Um, areas like work and rest are high on God's agenda, actually part of the fabric of God's creation. Um, so we, we, we get into everything. So we don't believe that we evolved into beings that work and rest. We believe that we were created to work and to rest. So uh, all that to say, it's obvious these are important areas of life, important areas to God, and we need to uh, take a look. These are important areas to everybody. Uh, just It was hard to kind of cull the quotes this week. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, I don't know if it's good to quote Benjamin Franklin, but figured I'd get variety here. He's quoted as saying, he that can take rest is greater than he that can take a city. I don't know if he even said that, but that sounds cool. Uh, more, probably a more trusted spiritual source, D.A. Carson, so great theologian of our day, uh, talking about physical rest. He said, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Okay? Sometimes the godliest, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Like, that's the path to godliness that I want. What did you do this week to become godly? Man, I slept ten hours a night. Like Shekinah glory on me right now. So, um, I believe, you know, you can ask just about any physician. They're going to tell you that rest is essential. Physical bodies require rest. Ask any athlete, particularly some of the top athletes, how much rest they require, how much rest they get. That's a fascinating study to look at some of the most exceptional athletes that we've ever known and see how much rest uh, they get. It's needed to, to build muscle, repair injury. It's needed to do so much when it comes to athletics. But it's not just essential for muscles, it's essential for the mind. Uh, ask many of yesterday's philosophers how essential rest was. Leonardo da Vinci is quoted as saying, every now and then, go away, have a little relaxation, for when you come back to work, your judgment will be sure. Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and the list keeps going of world religions that put an importance on rest. Rest is important to our emotions. Anyone want to disagree with that? My wife will take a rested version of me any day. Okay. My wife and kids joke, but there's a lot of honesty to how much they dislike the Sunday afternoon version of me. So if you've raised kids, okay, you know how related emotions and behavior are to rest and food. <laughs> but rest, like they don't get rest. It can be nightmarish. So you move into the business world and you will hear guru after guru tell you how essential rest is for productivity. 
So we got doctors, we got athletes, we got philosophers, religious leaders, business leaders who may not agree on much, but they agree on this. Rest is essential. Rest is key. And there's a lot we can learn from those groups. A lot of common grace in the world when it comes to rest, when it comes to sleep specifically. But we want to hear more about what God has to say. And then we'll, we'll have some filters, hopefully, to see if all of the other people that are talking about rest are saying good things or right things. Okay, So we start with God. We let this be the lens and the filter through which we look at all of that other stuff from other groups. So uh, let him sort of drive us into a deeper understanding of how we, we go about rest, how we apply it, how we, how we just comprehend it. Okay? Let him be the filter. So with that, let's uh, let's let's kind of start the journey here. The Bible has a lot to say. Okay, it's a deep sort of multifaceted topic. Uh, Today is nothing but an intro. I had really high hopes for this sermon and they went from here to about here by the time I got from Monday to this morning, just based on not my ability and not God's word, but just the breath of what God has to say. About rest. You just feel, I don't know what to take out. I don't know what to include anymore. So you're just getting a hodgepodge of hopefully helpful biblical truths, uh, this morning. So maybe this will spur you on to study more. Hopefully that happens at times. Like I heard something from God today that causes me to want to dive in deeper myself. I think the idea of rest would be, would be a good one to dive into. Going into July, gonna have a little extra time on your hands, okay? Not doing anything in the hours from like 9 to 10.30 in the morning on Sunday. So, hey, study on rest. Just grab you a good book. I can recommend a few. Uh, we're gonna start with Psalm 127, just two verses, uh, partly because it helps connect the ideas of work and rest together. But like last week, the sermon is topical, so we'll kind of be all over the place biblically uh, speaking. But hopefully you found that text by now. So going to read the first two verses. This is from King Solomon. All right. First two verses, Psalm 27. This is the word of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he, God, Gives to his beloved sleep. All right. So pretty short. See Solomon there talking about. If you just want to use some categories. He's talking about working. He's talking about protecting. He's talking about resting. And though resting here is probably a little bit narrow. Because he he focuses in on sleep. When resting would be a, a broader category. Not just uh, sleep. Uh, in general, this psalm, if you were to study all of it, it gives principles on some of the most basic areas of life. So verse one, working, verse two, protecting or securing uh, verse uh, two as well, talking about resting. And then three and five are really families and children. So some of the r- basic areas of life, just a great psalm to give you some principles on that. And in context, uh, this it's written by Solomon, and this beloved term was a reference to Solomon more than likely. So there is an aim toward Old Testament temple and worship and the Old Testament people of God. But there's principles that translate across time to work in general, rest in general, and children in general. The, the point of the psalm is pretty simple. It's this. Apart from the Lord, apart from active dependence on the Lord, apart from trust in the Lord, our lives will be... Pointless, restless, and fruitless. 
The fruitless part would be the, the children part there at the end. So apart from the Lord, apart from active dependence and trust on the Lord, our lives are pointless, restless and fruitless. If you leave out the Lord, as the text says, it is in vain. It's all in vain. The word vain there carries the idea of empty achievement. Okay, You may accomplish great things in the world, but they are empty apart from the Lord. They are not lasting apart from the Lord. So it's not saying that people can't accomplish anything apart from the Lord. It's saying it's empty accomplishment. It is vain apart from the Lord. Similar to what Jesus says um, you know, in the New Testament, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's not saying practically you're just a puddle without me, like that you can't live and breathe and do absolutely nothing without me. It's more ultimate than that. Apart from me, it's all ultimately in vain. No matter what, how great people may think you are and how great you may think your acts and accomplishment are, are they, they ultimately will not last apart from me. Now, it's important to note that the psalm doesn't say that work is bad. I don't want to come up here and like dismantle everything that David said last week. Okay, it doesn't say work is bad. Hopefully last week proved, as we, particularly when David took us on a survey of God's word, it proved that work is good, that work existed prior to the fall. Okay, The fall aggravated work. It made work hard. It didn't create work. So the fall, the entrance of sin made work harder. This psalm is saying that endless striving is empty without the Lord. Getting up early, going to bed late is not necessarily a problem, though it's going to lead to some health issues. It's more, the psalm is getting at more the heart behind it. It's this idea to, to sum up the end of verse 2, this idea of anxiety-infused restlessness. That's the problem. Anxiety-infused restlessness. In the words of Eugene Peterson, it's working like the devil. Like you don't believe in anything. We should work like believers because God wants us to work. He designed work. He wants us to work hard, but he also wants us to rest. Because according to this psalm, rest is a gift from God. That he gives to his beloved sleep. So rest is a gift from God. This psalm contains so much that we might not see on the surface. Okay, there's practicality here. Yes. Okay, of not overworking and the emptiness of anxiously toiling. But there's also God's sovereignty in the background and how God operates like massive truth lingering in the background of this psalm about God's sovereignty and how he operates and man's responsibility on top of that. And then there's a theme of faith or trust in the background. Another immense truth operating here. In order to not build in vain, not protect in vain, not anxiously toil away in vain, you have to understand who God is and have faith in who he is and how he operates and understand how he designed both work and rest. It takes a level of understanding how God is working, who he is, what he's like, how he's designed things, how he brings together work and rest. That's all in the background of this psalm. With that broad explanation, let's, let's go from there and sort of back up a little bit, maybe, I don't know, 30,000 foot view, we always say that, and get at least an overview of rest as we sort of turn the pages of Scripture. 
But just keep in mind as we go through this, okay, there, this relationship between work and rest, a relationship this psalm highlights, okay, we can't really work properly without resting properly, okay? Something the Bible makes clear and experience proves for us, right? So here's a broad outline, hopefully, uh, to give us a little more insight on uh, rest, how we're going to spend the rest of our time. Two, two sections. First, we'll look at the eternal significance of spiritual rest. And then second, the ongoing importance of physical rest. Okay, Eternal significance of spiritual rest, the ongoing importance of physical rest. As believers, we need to understand how essential spiritual rest is for physical rest. Hence the reason we're covering these in a certain order. And we're just going to kind of connect them together and sort of see how cyclical the process is between the two. And then, Lord willing, we'll have a few exhortations at the end if I can actually stick to the notes. So, all right. Two main sections, some exhortations right at the end. First section, let's look at the eternal significance of spiritual rest. So. Concept of rest is introduced all the way back at the beginning of Scripture. David mentioned this uh, last week. Okay, we see you, you don't have to flip with me. You can if you want to. I'm just going to kind of read these texts or highlight them for you. You can just make notes so that you can stay uh, tuned in. So we go back to Genesis one and two. And we see God create all things, and He wraps up that process. And this is what He says at the end of that: "Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them." And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I don't know about you, but with a narrow understanding of rest that just sort of sits in my mind, that that, that rest is just sleep, that text is a little bit confusing on the surface. Why did God have to rest? Was Was he tired? Did he need a nap? What exactly does that mean? Well, it's clear that that doesn't mean that God stopped working. Okay, you you read the rest of Scripture. God is working. God continues to work. He never ceases to work. The rest here is tied to his creative work. He rested from his work of creation. But even that, if you understand that that's what he was resting from, why? Again, did it tire him out and he just needed to back up for a moment and catch his breath? Know that not to be uh, true. And this is what I, I think this this will help us to understand or it should help us to understand what it means that he rested. So this point. So what did God say? So think about what did God say after everything he created each day? He would create something. He would step back and say what it is good. It is good. Right. But what does he say after he has finished creating everything? It says and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. So he adds very good there at the end. And I think that points at what it means for him to rest at the end. So good, 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 very good. That type of rest that he's doing there points to utter satisfaction. Rest there means that God was satisfied in what he had done. His work was complete and it was satisfying. In one way, he's enjoying what he has done. He is resting in his Finished work. Now, after this resting enjoyment, as you may call it, sort of resting enjoyment in creation, we get a few details in the Genesis account on his intimacy between or the intimacy between God and in the human part of his creation. 
And after we get that, things go a bit south. Okay, we have what's known as the fall. Man rebels against God and everything is altered at that point. Okay, the relationship between man and God is altered between man and man. And certainly the relationship between man and work and man and rest is altered. So we have the fall, which devastated all aspects of creation and work and rest were not exempt. Work becomes painful. Work becomes difficult and rest becomes distorted and elusive. After the fall, rest becomes sort of a necessary antidote to the harshness of work. Yet, yet rest is elusive after the fall. So you need rest because of the harshness of work, yet it's hard to get rest, as experience again has proven. So we have that in the creation account. Now, we keep going, and you just sort of pull those things through the rest of the Bible. We see the foundation created in Genesis there come through, and then we see the effects of the fall on rest just continue throughout the Bible. So you fast forward to the Ten Commandments, and God introduces something called the Sabbath, Sabbath rest, okay? So that's a big deal in Scripture. And he takes Sabbath rest and he connects it to the creation account and the fact that he rested and he connects it to other events on top of that. So he sets up a pattern, a pattern of work and rest. How many days are you supposed to work? Some of you going three, (laughs) six. How many days are you supposed to rest? You retired folks are going seven, six and one, six and one. Okay. All right. So and then he connects it to the fact that he worked in creation for six days and rested for the seventh. And then you go to Deuteronomy 5. So he recounts the law. The law is given again. And then we have this resting idea coming in. We have the Sabbath come in. At that point, he connects it to something else. He adds the feature of remembering when they... you got to look back and remember when I brought you out of Egypt. What were you in Egypt? You were slaves. I liberated you. So this Sabbath rest is a reminder of your liberation, your freedom from Slavery. It's also a looking ahead of how I promise to take you to a promised land. Okay, there's a promise there. You're going to go to a land. So look back. You've been liberated, and then you're going to a land. That that this rest is a reminder of that. Okay. So Sabbath was so much more than ceasing from labor. It was also about worshiping, enjoying, remembering. Specifically, who God is and what God had done and really what God would do as well. You could sum it up this way. It was being satisfied in the work of God and trusting in the promises of God. Rest, in part, was being satisfied in the work of God and trusting in the promises of God. Now, keep going. We're not even going to get into uh, the failures of God's Old Testament people and how they failed to enter God's rest. Okay, it's clear based on the Bible itself that the Sabbath law on its own had no ability to address what was a deeper problem, a heart level problem when it came to rest. You really want to study this and dive in Hebrews three and four. Okay. New Testament commentary on the Old Testament, Hebrews 3 and 4. So I said, I'm going to give you, you, you can go dive into this. I uh, hope to spur in you uh, the, the, the desire to study. Hebrews 3 and 4 would be a good place to start in God's Word. So the Sabbath law on its own could not address a deeper heart level issue. The fourth commandment 
teaches that people ought to rest, but it cannot enable people to rest because it's powerless to change what? The heart. And rest is a heart issue. Okay? Rest is ultimately a heart issue, which is why we started with this section first. Okay? You can take all the pills in the world that may be needed. Okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. They might provide some physical rest, but they will not address the heart problem behind restlessness. There is no pill that will do that. It could cover over it and it could provide some sleep, but it will not address restlessness. All right. In sort of a good way, the, the common inability to rest exposes that there's a deeper problem in us. Think about that. The common inability to rest, restlessness, exposes a heart problem. Whether we know it or not, it exposes, you kind of sum it up, it exposes that we are trying to be self-sufficient. We're trying to do things without God. But it also shows us, if we'll just keep following and look at it, it shows us that the self-sufficiency, we're trying to be all without God, that that just leaves us what? Exhausted, right? We're trying to be self-sufficient, and as a result, we're exhausted. So it just sort of tells on itself. Here's why having that exposed is good news, okay? And just to fast forward through a lot of the Bible, this is why having that exposed is good news, because it leads us to the gospel, because it leads us to the good news. This is where Jesus enters the picture and brings the only pill that truly and ultimately works when it comes to restlessness. So what does Jesus refer to himself as when it comes to the Sabbath? If we if we take that idea from Genesis through the commandments, so Exodus, Deuteronomy, and keep bringing it through and we get to Jesus, he says, I am what? The Lord of the Sabbath. See that Matthew, Mark, Luke, so all the synoptic gospels have it. And, he, and him saying that means so much in context, but it certainly means that Jesus did something the Sabbath could never do. Jesus can give Rest. Why? Why can Jesus give rest? Because Jesus gives us the ability to say that the work, the ultimate work, is finished. Jesus gives us the ability, like God did, to step back and look and go, the work is finished. It is satisfactory. It is done. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, Jesus experienced ultimate restlessness so that we could rest. Remember what else Jesus said about rest in Matthew 11? Brian prayed it earlier. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. Y'all struggling on the audience participation today, okay? So you can speak up, it's alright. If you don't know the, if you don't know the answer, Jesus works every time or just amen. Alright? So I'll give you rest. Rest there is in part equated with salvation. Okay, it's being equated with salvation. That is, Jesus is offering rest in that context for all who are seeking forgiveness of sin and freedom for just the crushing legalistic burden of trying to earn salvation. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will, I will forgive you of your sin and give you freedom from what these guys are, all this burden they're heaping on you to try to earn your salvation. Here's how it works. In Jesus or through Jesus, we get work credited to us that's satisfactory, that's good, that's perfect, that's finished. 
It's work, like I said, where we can pause, like God did in creation when he rested on that seventh day. And we can look at that work and say, it's very good. It is satisfactory. It is complete. It doesn't need anything else. It is whole. There's nothing I can add to it or take away from it. Jesus allows us to say to ourselves over and over and over again when it comes to work, it is finished. It is finished. That's what the work of Jesus brings about. And by work, when I say work, I'm talking about really three categories. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. That's what makes up the gospel, the good news. When he says to come to me and I'll give you rest, he's saying, I will give you the ability to say that it's finished. I will give you the ability to say that it's sufficient. I'm going to give you that ability. He's saying that how I lived, how I died, why I died, and the fact that I rose, that gives you the ability to rest because that is perfect. That is complete. That is very, very good. And it's not just momentary rest. It's not just a nap. This work is sufficient for all of eternity. We are talking about eternal rest. David touched on it earlier. That we have a rest that awaits us. Okay. Spurgeon put it this way. There's always guys that put it better than than we do. If you quote Spurgeon, you sound smarter. So no way I can prove on this. This is so good. I must have read this 20 times this week. Our salvation is complete. The robe of righteousness in which we are clad is finished. The atonement for our sins is fully made. We are reconciled to God, beloved by the Father, preserved by His grace, supplied by His providence with everything that we need. Oh yes, we have found rest for our souls. This is the rest that no vacation can provide. I just got back off what I will easily label as the most restful vacation of my life. But the the type of rest that, that it gave me, that physical rest, it was gone pretty much when the plane landed back in Atlanta. Didn't even make it to Birmingham before that rest was gone. The trip back just zapped it out of me. There's a type of rest, a rest that drives all other rest, a rest that gives meaning to all other rest, a rest that enhances all other rest, a rest that outlasts all other rest. And it's that rest that only comes through Jesus Christ and his finished, complete, sufficient and satisfactory work. That rest defines every other rest for us. And. We need to move on. But that, I mean, that barely touches on what David mentioned a minute ago. On eternal rest, what we have to come. You, you may call what we have now in Jesus as an inaugurated rest. As Hebrews says, there remains for us a rest. It's just going to get better. There's coming a day where rest will no longer be a struggle. You could sum it up that way. So that's the eternal significance of spiritual rest. Let's look now at the ongoing importance of physical rest. Okay, Uh, I doubt that I have to argue uh, with you or convince you or really convince anyone, believer or non-believer, that there's an ongoing importance to physical rest. But I, I think I think I think there would be a consensus among just about anybody I talk to that 
Physical rest is of ongoing importance. Okay, I think if you just look at the revenue generated by the health and wellness industry, the amount of focus by the medical industry on sleep or rest seems like I don't know about you, but it seems like the sleeping pill section in the in the pharmacy just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You know, it used to be that the, the, the pain pills that, you know, the Tylenol Advil section was like really long and the cold section was really long. They've had to expand. They have a sleeping pill section now. Books abound, ideas, treatments. I was thinking about what about mattresses? Like, there is no way to buy a mattress today and not immediately think you made the wrong purchase because it is being pounded in your head that there is something better. As soon as you get it home, five other mattress advertisements on TV that this one is that much better. All that to say, I think my point here is well received. There's an ongoing importance of physical rest. Nothing is more obvious than this. Okay, it is wired into rhythm. Wired into us of ongoing rest. That being the case, I want to make a little bit different point with this. I think the ongoing importance of rest, okay, of physical rest is an opportunity for the believer to be reminded of the eternal significance of spiritual rest. So we're going to use it that way. Okay? So the ongoing importance of physical rest is a reminder of the eternal significance of spiritual rest. Think about it like this. It's pretty easy to say this with just sleep. Okay. But I would rather think about rest more broadly. If rest can can mean rest can mean it means ceasing from work, stepping back, remembering, enjoying, worshiping. So it's all of those things. Okay, rest is a a pretty broad category. Then rest can serve as a continual reminder of a lot of things. And I'm going to give you two of them that take us back to our first section. All right. And I didn't put these in the outline. I apologize. They probably should have been. So physical rest is a reminder in at least two ways. Try to think about them more broadly, but sleep is is sort of the immediate one that comes to mind. First, physical rest reminds us that we are not God and that he is in control. Physical rest reminds us that we are not God and that he is in control. Okay, the Bible also says that that God never sleeps nor slumbers. Okay, he rested on the third day, stepped back, enjoyed what he had created. It is finished. It is very, very good. But then it says he never, never, neither sleeps nor slumbers. If you understand his providence, okay, he is continually working to uphold and govern the universe. Okay, he's holding it all together. He never ceases to work in that way. We do not want him to cease to work in that way. We do not want him to take a day off from upholding and governing the universe. So that work continues. Every time we have to rest or are forced to rest, it is a reminder we are not God. Every time. Every time we have to take a break, it reminds us we're not God because he doesn't have to do this. It also reminds us that we are not ultimately in control and that things go on without us. Example. So far in your life, what has been very obvious every time you wake up in the morning? So far in your life. Could change tomorrow. So, But so far in your life, what has been very obvious? Maybe a lot of things. Maybe that your breath is bad and you don't get why or it's your back hurts. Or maybe you're reminded that you need a new mattress. But regardless of what comes to mind, one thing in particular should be obvious every morning. 
The world went on without me. It didn't fall apart. It just kept clicking along. Life didn't cease because I was asleep. Life didn't cease because I unplugged. Life didn't cease because I got away. Things didn't truly end because I didn't have my phone. Things didn't go awry and just completely fall apart. And the universe was destroyed because I took a nap. I love this quote um, by John Piper. It just reinforces this point. He he goes after it here in a second. But he says, sleep is a parable that God is God and that we are mere men. God handles the world quite nicely while a hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Don't let the lesson be lost on you. God wants to be trusted as the great worker who never tires and who never sleeps. He is not nearly so impressed with our late nights and early mornings as he is with the peaceful trust that casts all anxieties on him and goes to sleep. He goes on to say, gets a little more pointed here. He said, once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every single day. I think the first part was more encouraging, but Piper got his point across in the second one. So... Physical rest is, first of all, a reminder that we are not God and that he is in control. Second, physical rest is a reminder that we are not slaves and God has set us free. Okay? Physical rest is a reminder that we are not slaves and God has set us free. And this is playing off how God designed the Sabbath in the Old Testament to be a reminder. Thinking back on Deuteronomy 5. Section where God wanted his people to rest in part by looking back on their liberation from slavery. Restlessness. So listen to this. You need to follow with me here. Restlessness. The inability to rest in some is some form. Idolatry or slavery. Okay. Restlessness is in some way idolatry or slavery. Now, hear this clearly. So here's the caveat qualification. I'm not saying that the inability to sleep is automatically idolatry. Not saying that. Okay, so don't come up and tell me I I called you an idolater if you cannot sleep. That would make every parent with a new baby an idolater. And that would deter from Christians having babies. So that can't be true. Okay, so the inability to sleep is not automatically slavery or idolatry. I also fully acknowledge this, so second qualification, that sin has affected our bodies in complex and comprehensive ways. We we need to acknowledge that there are real issues in certain people as to why we cannot sleep. That's real and that's true. We have to acknowledge the existence of legitimate issues that are not directly connected to idolatry. Okay? So I'm not qualified specifically to speak on all that. And if I did, there are certain people here who know me well who would call me a hypocrite 
if I dove into all of that. So not going to. So I'm specifically using the word restlessness and tying it to idolatry, playing off the the anxious toil that Psalm 127 speaks of. Here's what I mean. If you are unable, unable to let go of work and rest, unable to let go of this or that or whatever it may be, then you are a slave to whatever that is. Whatever you put in that category, if you are unable to let go of it and rest, not just sleep, but rest, then you are a slave to whatever that is. If you can't let go of control long enough to pull away, to spend time with the Lord, to spend time alone, to spend time with other people, to actually sleep, to seek out rest, then you are worshiping control. Control is is an idol for you. You are full of pride and rest is for the humble. Now you could continue to go example after example. My point here is that physical rest can be or should be a reminder that we are not slaves. God has set us free. Those other things do not control us. It's a reminder. Again, the ultimate work is done. We are secure. There's a work that's satisfactory and complete and good and can be enjoyed. And we are a slave to nothing else. The other stuff doesn't have to enslave us. Rest reminds us of that. It's a reminder each time. See how good it is? That's a way. If you know that, that every time you get away and rest, it's a reminder. I'm not a slave to all of these things. Another example. Many of us are slaves to approval. We want approval. We're restless without approval. Well, physical rest can or should be a reminder That in Christ, we have approval of the one voice that truly matters. Rest is a reminder that we get in Christ, we get the well done speech from God. Rest is a reminder of that. God is not waiting. Listen to this very clearly. God is not waiting on you to work a little harder, a few extra hours, or get up a little earlier before he approves of you. He's not waiting on that. He's not waiting on you to jump into this or do this or clean this up. Or He's not waiting on you to work harder and sleep less. He's not waiting on you to burn the candle at both ends to do X, Y, or Z. You have in Christ his well done. You have his approval. It's there already. If you, if you are in Jesus, if you've trusted in him, you have God's approval. You have the satisfaction of the Father. Physical rest is a reminder that you are no longer a slave. You are a son or daughter. All right. So it's a reminder that we are not God and he is in control. And it's a reminder that we are not slaves and have been set free. And I think this is the area where we could just continue to add on top of that just so much about the ongoing importance of physical rest. But I chose to only do one sermon, and I don't want you to become restless with me. So we're going to get to some exhortations. So we're going to head toward the runway here. Exhortations toward rest. And this could also be endless as well. All right? There's, there's a temptation to dive into so much, critique so much, put so many ideas on the table, and you will ironically exhaust yourself looking at all the ways to rest. You ever considered that? Like, I'm exhausted by reading all the ways that the world tells me to rest. 
So uh, anyways, and a lot of them are likely legitimate. So, again, you have not heard me say today that there's like no common grace in the world when it comes to rest or sleep and all of that. I can personally attest to trying really basic stuff okay, to help you sleep, but also having Nicole convince me to try not so basic stuff to try to get some sleep. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. None of it seems to work and have lasting effects. So we could spend all day talking about ways to seek rest and pursue that. We don't have time for that. Um, and I want to leave some work for you. So I'm going to stay a bit general. And then I want to end on the most important at all, uh, most important point of all. So kind of circle back around to something we've already covered. So three exhortations. First, find rest through discipline. Okay, find rest through discipline. I feel pretty confident saying the truly restful person is the disciplined person. And it would be a, a rare occasion to reverse the equations and find an undisciplined person that's truly restful. The disciplined person, they, they have discipline when it comes to work and rest. Okay, In both of those categories, they're disciplined about how they go about their work and they're disciplined about how they pursue rest. And they're disciplined spiritually. You understand what we mean when we talk about spiritual disciplines? You know what we're talking about? Most often you hear things like prayer. Study of the word, meditation of the word, memorization of the word. Those would be the two big ones. Worship. This would be a spiritual discipline. Okay. Depending on whose list you look at, they're longer or shorter. Okay. Evangelism, spiritual discipline. I want to look at this. Um, I wanted to look at uh, Psalm 3, but we really didn't have time. But I think it's a great example of, of, of the point here about spiritual discipline. So if you know Psalm 3 at all, written by David. In a really difficult spot. So King David's a really difficult spot. Absalom, he's, he's running from his son Absalom. And in verse 5 of Psalm 3, he actually says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And it's interesting how he gets to verse 5. Okay? It's interesting how he gets to verse 5. In the midst of turmoil and strife and fleeing from his son, he gets to verse 5 in, in the context of praying. Psalm 3 is, is framed like a prayer. So he's praying. There's a spiritual discipline. Okay. I need rest and you gave it to me while well, he was praying. And then what is he doing in the context of praying? He's rehearsing truths about who God is and what God does. He calls God a shield, a lifter of his head, a God who answers prayers. Those are truths that David had studied and that he knew and he had marinated on. You see spiritual disciplines coming out in David and resulting in rest from God. Think about worship as a discipline. This, what we're doing, what is this an opportunity for? Be reminded who God is, what God has done, how he set you free. To look at the rest he's provided, all the things that we've discussed today, that we rehearse these truths about the finished work of Christ over and over and over again. You find rest in and through these disciplines. That would be like spiritual disciplines, but practical disciplines as well. Those are needed. And I really want to avoid being prescriptive here. But you have to be a disciplined person to some degree if you want to find rest. 
For instance, so we would not, and I preached a sermon on this, so if you want to go back and listen to it, you can, that we would not hold to the Old Testament Sabbath in the way it was laid out in the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean there's not principles there that we apply to our lives. There's part of that that's just wired into creation. There's a rhythm of work and rest, work and worship. What does the application of a Sabbath principle look like in your life? How are you disciplined in that regard? Beyond that, how do you get away, take time off, shut down, take time to enjoy God, his creation, to think, to ponder and to sleep? Is there any sort of plan? Is there any sort of discipline there? It doesn't happen without discipline. Without some level of discipline, even the the everyday rhythm of work and rest will be distorted and be way off. One of the um, ironic things about some people, say the more workaholic types, is they work too much and put myself in this category. They work too much and don't rest enough because they think that leads to greater productivity. Okay, I need to work a certain amount of hours, which decreases my rest because I need to be productive. I need to accomplish a certain amount when in reality, a better balance of work and rest leads to greater productivity. So if you're like striving for productivity and efficiency and effectiveness, you're actually stunning yourself and hindering your ability to be productive and effective and efficient by working too much and resting too little. There was an older, well-respected judge. I didn't get his name, but he would take a month off every year. He would just shut down for an entire month, no work whatsoever. And he was confronted by another judge at one point about why he did that. And, and he said, I got his quote, but I didn't get his name. He said, I can, do, I can do my work well in 11 months, but I cannot in 12. Meaning, I, I, you could give me another month, but it's not going to get any better. It's going to be better in 11. You think about it in this room, variety of circumstances, variety of careers, life stages. Discipline is going to look so different across so many different lives and circumstances in here. But discipline is required for all. Every single person in this room. Your every night's sleep is hindered without discipline. Your overall effectiveness and productivity is hindered without discipline. Your shepherding, leading, loving, caring is hindered without discipline. Your walk with the Lord, which affects all other aspects, is hindered without some level of discipline. So we have to develop some level of discipline. And let me say this before moving on. If if you are completely undisciplined, if you would be the humble, honest person right now and say, I have zero discipline at work, I have zero discipline when it comes to rest. Okay, If you're that person right now, I love you. Go really slow and be really patient because the ship doesn't turn really quickly. Like discipline takes time. It's kind of like if you've never worked out and then all of a sudden you say, I'm going to get in shape. You don't go to the gym once. okay? And that first couple times at the gym are miserable. But over time, over time, you see effect. So if you would acknowledge I'm completely undisciplined in both work and rest and I acknowledge that I need to change. Change patience and one step at a time. And that leads to this next point. Find this, find rest through discipline. And second, find rest through others. Find rest through others. Um, I don't know if you realize how communal. If you see the community aspect of something like the Sabbath in the Old Testament. So 
That was a command given to the people that in part manifested itself in worship. We see that today. Part of our leaning into the rest that God calls us to is what we're doing right now. It's worshiping together. It's remembering, celebrating who God is, what he's done in Christ, looking back on what he's done in Jesus, looking around what he's doing right now, looking forward to what he's going to do, recounting the satisfactory, finished and complete work of Jesus. There's a community aspect to resting, which makes certain people tired to think about. There is a community aspect uh, to resting. Here's the plain reality that is undeniable. You need others to rest, to truly rest. I didn't come up with that. God did. Like God designed things the way they are. You need relationships to rest. In so many ways, we are incomplete people without other people. And so you connect this with the last point and you need help and accountability when it comes to finding rest through discipline. You need others to help you in that, in that journey. And you need others to hold you accountable, grace-based accountability in the disciplines that they help you with. If you have ever struggled with pursuing rest in a certain career or stage of life, have you ever stopped to talk to another Christian Particularly another mature Christian, maybe a Christian in the same stage of life and go, what are you doing? What have you heard? A pastor, anybody. Have you ever stopped to look around and go, I'm struggling with discipline at work and at rest. How about all the resources that God has given me? Have you ever done that? God has given. Given you the church in part for the sake of your rest. God has given you the church in part for the sake of your rest. So isolation, time alone, certainly a key component. That's got to happen at some point. You, you need some time alone. You need some isolation. You, and you've got to be with the Lord. You can't get away from Him. So it's not as if you're isolating away from God. But you need time alone. That's a key component. So isolation, solitude is a component of rest, but also community. Okay, Community is a component of rest. We could make put something on our church sign out there that says, are you tired? Then go to church. Probably wouldn't work, but we could try. So find rest through discipline, find rest through community. And finally, and that's where the homework comes in. OK, let me just pause right there. I got a, I got four minutes. Um, well, I really don't. Robin, somebody else is four minutes. Uh, so pause right there. You're going into a whole month. OK, a whole month where. Hopefully some alleviation of time. There's some alleviation of time and burden of time. OK, there, there's there's a, a, an allowance there to, hey, I can I can do some. Other, I can find rest. How am I going to do that? OK, there's there's an opportunity to develop some disciplines and to to lean into each other to, to figure that out. OK, so don't waste it. Don't waste it. Okay? All right. Finally, most importantly, find rest through Jesus Christ. It's where we want to land it, kind of come back around to what we talked about at the beginning. Uh, for the unbeliever, if you don't know Jesus, you may um, find some semblance of rest in this life. Certainly, unbelievers figure out ways to rest, maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for an extended period of time. But there's always going to be that sort of heart level whole problem that you keep having to come back to at times. Every, every now and then, whatever cover you put on, it's just going to come it's going to come off and then you're going to have to fill it again and you're going to have to work to kind of fill it again with whatever it may be or mask over it. You can mask over it. That's certainly where 
things might come in that would just sort of numb that. Okay. As we've talked about today, the only true ultimate lasting rest is in Jesus Christ. Okay. He's the only one that can cause us to look, to stop and look and say it's finished and it's good and I don't have to do anything else. It's complete. I'd love to talk to you about that if that's confusing or you got any questions on that. Okay. He, he endured ultimate restlessness so that we could have uh, rest. For the Christian, for the believer, this is, this is the center of it all. This is where you come back. Okay? This is the center of gravity. You keep sort of getting drawn back to this. This is why you instill disciplines and have others in your life so that they will bring you back to the rest that exists in Jesus. They always, okay, others, okay, if you're going to be the other in somebody's life, the answer always ends with Jesus, okay? So whatever it is, get them back to Jesus. Get get me back to Jesus. And don't give me a bunch of ways to go to sleep without saying, Jesus did it all, stop worrying so much. Like you're not condemned. God loves you. Stop worrying so much. Now let's go do something practical. And every time I think that that practical thing is going to really help me, Jesus, don't forget Jesus. So always bring them back there. That's the center of gravity. All right, I'm, I'm going to stop. I got more. But we're, we're going to end a little differently on this point. OK, David texted me last night, said I got this song that I think fits well. He didn't have a clue where I was going because I didn't have a clue where I was going. And he gave me an ending. So thank you, Brown, for that. So David's going to come up. We usually uh, respond in song. But now we're going to kind of receive truth through song. OK, so David's going to lead us. And if you know the song, obviously you're welcome to sing. But just. I want you to sit and reflect. And this song reinforces the point that we find rest through Jesus. I just want you to hear it and marinate in it. You know, song has that ability sometimes. Just just get those truths to go a little bit deeper. Like maybe I got them right here. They might be sitting on top, but somehow song can just they just they just go all the way down. So I'm hoping that happens uh, this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. And then he's going to lead us and then we'll close out after that so we're just going to marinate on these truths a little longer father we're thankful for the finished complete perfect work of jesus help us now as these truths are sung over us and to us we pray that they would sink deep into our heart and they wouldn't just last for a moment they they wouldn't they wouldn't somehow be grabbed at the door and they wouldn't dissipate in a week, but they would they'd find root in our hearts. And as we go about life and as the waves crash and the restlessness seems to come, these truths would continue to surface and we would be drawn back to that center of gravity, which is Jesus. So help us now, Father, to that end. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.